Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you, and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk. You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. Um, I want to thank God for the opportunity we have to go further in the journey that we've been on through the book of Titus. Actually, today we have come to the last part of that book, and it's been an interesting ride so far. Um, I think with this book, we would have covered all the pastoral episodes, exception of Philemon, which some people sometimes include as one of the pastoral episodes. But today our focus is on the last part, verses 9 to 15 of Titus chapter 3. And we have titled it, Those to Avoid and Those to Emulate uh, for Want of a Title. By way of recap, just to quickly freshen our minds as it were, the book is majorly addressing two things, organization of a church and the obligation of the church members. And we have seen both sides. Uh, It's been quite a journey looking at, you know, from right from the introduction to the qualities or attributes of an elder or church leader and things like that. And then we came to silencing false teachers, all about dealing with organizing a church properly. And then the obligations of members, whether that's a male or young or old, um, slave or free. um, And then last week we were talking about practical Christianity. So we're going to be focusing on that last part today, looking at those to avoid and those to emulate as Paul um, cites some examples at the very end of that episode. If you would recall in our recent sessions, especially beginning from the middle of chapter two to where we are in chapter three, there has been this recurrent emphasis on the grace of God what the grace of God can do, the grace of God that appeared to all men, the grace that redeemed us, the grace that reforms us, transforms us, and continues to mold us into the image of Christ. And then last couple of weeks, we've looked at how that grace can, what does it look like, practically speaking, when that grace is applied to the life of a believer and is outworked um, in, in physical, tangible manifestations and that was what we dwelt on um, last week so today we want to first read the passage uh, from verse 9 to 15 and then we'll zoom in and begin to do uh, some verse by verse analysis of it feel free to stop me at any point (laughs) if i find something interesting for us to discuss i'll also bring it up But uh, again, you are welcome to do that as well if you want us to pause on something and and actually look at it from different perspectives. If you have spanners to throw, your spanners are welcome. (laughs) And we'll look at them together. Titus 3, 9 to 15. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law 
for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Verse 12, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. And the last verse, verse 15, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. And that's that's the very last part um, of this interesting loaded episode that we've been unpacking for a couple of months now. So our outline is basically to look at some of the things that Paul instructed Titus and by extension all the Cretan believers that will listen to this letter being read. And for you and I that are also privileged to read it um, in our own age and time. So he mentioned some things that they are to avoid. He mentioned some people that were commended. And then, of course, he concluded the entire letter. So that's what we want to quickly dive into. Let's begin with verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Uh, I, I mean, the question that naturally comes to mind would be, what, what does this look like in our present day and age? And that's, that's a question we might want to offer some contributions on. What does it look like to be engaged not avoid, but to be engaged in foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law. What does that look like today? If you were to give an example or maybe share an experience where you've experienced that, um, either on the giving or the receiving side of that, any, any contribution from the, from the house? Foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law. In that regard. Yes, ma'am. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, I think I've had experience like that before. When I first came to England, um, one, I have no friends. So the only friends I have, there was uh, this uh, Jehovah Witness. It was they always go around to speak to make friends because they want to draw you to their church. Mm -hmm. So I become friends with them. And then I said to them, oh, I didn't come here with my Bible. And they gave me one Bible. Mm -hmm. And then looking at that Bible, I'm reading it, I don't understand. It sounds different. So I now took my elder brother's Bible. It's like I was comparing the two Bibles. It doesn't seem the same. So the next time they came, we were like uh, arguing about it. I, in short, I gave them back the Bible. I said, uh, I don't understand this Bible. It's mm. not what I'm used to. Mm. They were like, uh, 
ah, that's the word of God. That's the best Bible, this and that, and this and that and that. I said, I'm sorry. I, I don't understand. I'm not used to this. I'm used to King James and the other Bible, but this one is totally different. So it's like we are arguing about it at a point. I said to myself, Victoria, do you know what? You cannot win. So mm -hmm. the best thing is to keep quiet. So after that day, I started avoiding them sometimes because our house, the window is on the corridor. So when you're walking past, you will see somebody in the kitchen. So sometimes I'll be in the kitchen, as soon as I see them, I will quickly run to the living room. <laughs> and, then, and then they will be knocking because they've seen me. Mm -hmm. They'll be knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And then I will not open the door. One day they met me on the high road. They were like, Victoria, what happened? We've been coming to your house. I said, because what you people are telling me is different from what I learned from Sunday school. So sometimes they come to you, they want to argue, and you know that this thing is, you can, since you cannot win, mm -hmm. and this thing they are talking to you, it doesn't make sense. The best thing is to keep quiet or forget about them, move on. That was how I avoided them. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you very, very much. That's, I mean, that's a very relatable example, which many of us can, can relate with. And it captures... What, what I was hoping to, to get from that, from asking that question. Um, I can't remember who this quote is attributed to, maybe Cicero or someone like that, that said, he that knows and knows that he knows is a wise man, follow him. Then he says, he that knows not and knows not that he knows not. In other words, the person doesn't know and he doesn't know that he doesn't know. He thinks he knows. He says that person is a fool shun him, avoid him, literally. And then it goes to he that knows not, but knows that he knows not. This person does not know, but he knows that he does not know. He said he's a child, teach him. And I think it captures three possible attitudes that we could see from people. And very many times I've also been engaged in trying to brainstorm with people that you know that you're not brainstorming. Their minds are made up about whatever it is that they are saying. And you just end up wasting energy, intellectual energy, spiritual energy. You've even wasted time that you could have used to do more resourceful things. So Paul is saying, yeah, avoid such foolish disputes. Disputes about what? Genealogies, for crying out loud. What has genealogy got to do with anything? But indeed, for them in their culture in the, in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, it's a big deal who you can be traced down back to because it's a very hierarchical society. The slaves are at the bottom of the, of the pile, and then you've got the normal common, common people, the commoners, then you've got the nobles, you've got those in, in, in government, you've got the emperor at the top of the, of the pile on his own or the top of the pyramid. And so in a sense, you know, genealogies mean something to them. And, and we can make all sorts of unnecessary noise out of that, contentions, strivings about the law, and things like that. Um, Paul is saying they are unprofitable and they are useless. Uh, of course, in the, in the context of the passage that we are reading, and if you take this alongside 
very many of, you could even say the full corpus of the Pauline epistle, the letter to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, to the Philippians, to all the churches that Paul was writing to, you will always hear this thing about Judaizers, people that are of Jewish origin, <clears throat> Jews by, by birth, you could say, and they are in this in these multicultural congregations where there are Gentiles and there are Jews, and the Jews are wanting the Gentiles to become Jews, become circumcised, keep the Sabbath day, do all of the things that Jewish people would do for you to validate your salvation. And of course, the unsuspecting Gentile would also be dancing to those tunes. Those are the kind of things that leads to all these disputes leads to all these genealogies in their own context, leads to contentions and strivings about the law. What does the law mean in this side or in that side? What does it mean about, you know, all manner of injunctions that we could go back to in the Old Testament? So the Wait, okay. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to add something. If you go, go back one slide, sir. Okay, yeah. I just want to add something on that. Uh, this, the second one is genealogies. Now, you know, genealogies has to do with generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think what I can also see there is that when Rapport say avoidant has to do with with generations, because if you think about the, con uh, the context in which we're talking, we have the Judaizers there. We have people believing that you have to do some things. You have to, to, be, to make you be more like a Jewish person so that you can be accepted by Christ. So you say, just ignore all of that because there's no more difference between Jews and Gentile, male and female, because Christ has made them both one in him. So in today's context, I think what we can also think about is that avoid things that point you back to, uh, okay, you are from, uh, you know, some people up to today, they will still be calling themselves, they'll just be quoting all those things that, the, the genesis of those things are occult. <laughs> and, you know, when they say it, you see that their head will just well up. Is all those things. It's, it's avoid them. So the only genealogies like we read about Judah that you can trace is one that traces you to Jesus. When it doesn't trace you to Jesus, avoid them. So that is the way I also want to interpret it. Oh, very, very helpful. Thank you very much, sir. Um, so these Judaizers are like false teachers who are always trying to diminish the supremacy of Christ and his work on the cross. I mean, that's more or less a contemporary definition for false teachers, but we can apply it to what the Judaizers were doing then, but we can as well apply it to what today's false teachers are doing. Anybody that comes with a message and it's usually mixture, so it's not always all lies, you will find some truths. But anyone that comes with a message that diminishes, reduces, takes away from the supremacy of Christ and the work that Christ has done and perfected and finished on the cross that brought us or bought us our salvation. Anyone that does anything to, to, dent, to dent that or to taint it in a, in a negative way is, is a false teacher. It's as simple as that. And the thing is, many times the way it comes across, it comes across with some sense of spirituality that makes you feel, ah, if I can do this, I'll be more spiritual than X, Y, Z, and things like that. But again, for the genuine believers, you will always have that nagging sense of unrest, listening to those kind of things, rather than bring peace 
and, and tranquility. It would raise questions. It would raise, you know, uncertainty. It would even make you to begin to doubt what you have always known and things like that. There will be unrest within you. When you start saying things like that, the instruction here is to avoid them. So as believers, we must be cautious of people who place unnecessary burdens upon believers in Christ and people or people who draw attention to themselves and their special privileges other than to Christ. In the case of the Judaizers, they, are, they, they believe they have special privileges because they are Jews. Jesus himself, by the words of his mouth, said he was sent to the lost of the household of Israel. But of course, we know that what he did as a Jewish man, which he necessarily had to do as a Jewish man, he did it so that the door can now be opened to all the world. And to take people like Apostle Paul and the other apostles to begin to help us to get the full picture of what was going on. And so they, 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 they feel like they are special in a certain regard. And you can come and enjoy. Let's give you the password to these special privileges so that you two can start enjoying it in a manner of speaking. Shortly after when I would refer to as the time when um, I gave my life to Christ, <laughs> back to our conversation about giving your life to Christ. I know that personally I gave my life to Christ countless times. But the one that I can look back to and say this is the last time or the time that light began to truly dawn in a way that then began this journey of increasing assurance and awareness. It wasn't long after that time that I attended an event. I was a first-year student at, at Obafemaolo University at the time. And, you know, there was this big banner with this man's picture. It's a student like us, but maybe in his final year or something like that at the time. And he titled the event, Deep Things. And of course, you know, the Bible talks in 1 Corinthians 2 about the spirit of God reveals the deep things of God to us. And that sounds deep. And as a young believer, I wanted to also understand these deep things. I went for this event and the man was ministering, very charged atmosphere of worship. And then he came on stage and he started talking about, you know, demonstrations of power how it would be in a place and it will call some people in a meeting and it'll be telling them how many people are there for them to know that even though I'm not physically with you, I can be there in the spirit right there and tell you everything that is happening. So I was hearing that, I was like, wow, this is raw power. I would like to also enjoy a bit of this and demonstrate a bit of this. But again, with all of that back and forth was going a nagging sense of unrest, unhease, or a, a, a disturbance, you could say. By the end of his ministration, he made an altar call, not for people to be saved, but for people that are called or that you feel like you might be called to ministry. You are not even yet sure about it, but you just know that maybe somewhere down the line in your future, God is inviting you to ministry. And lots of people came out. I don't know, I find myself in front as well and invited us for a special meeting. So that one is now for the, for the select few. And it took us to a particular location that is where he prays and, and the gates of heaven are always open. So if you can come to that particular location and pray, and everyone, I think that was the point where the Holy Spirit started saying to me, what are you doing here? What, what are you looking for that is lost, that you are searching for up and down? Why are you trading with your destiny for what makes no sense? And, you know, the more I, I lingered in that atmosphere, the more disturbed I was in the spirit. Not because anything is being said that is, Everything that is being said is being said in the name of Jesus. They were not praying in the name of Satan. They were opening Bible. 
they were singing worship songs that I was familiar with. So there was nothing extraordinarily out of this world. And of course, the Bible makes provision for demonstrations of power. This sign shall follow them that believe. In my name, they would cast out demons. In my name, they would do this, they would do that. I want to experience that. But there is always, there is always a, a, a genuine path to growth, growing grace and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Not some shortcut to power, where if you can get to a particular location or you are connected to a particular person that has a special privilege to certain angels, <laughs> then your prayers will be answered. I went through all that story to say, it's it's when these things come, they, they won't necessarily look outrightly wrong. They won't necessarily look out of this world miles away from the truth. But thank God for the spirit of God on our inside. Colossians 3.15 calls him the umpire for our soul. Is the one that God uses to the peace of God, to judge, to make us know when you are, when you are going out of line, you start losing that peace. When you are in line with his will, you have that deep-seated, you know, contentment and peace and satisfaction in your father. So measure, I mean, this is something Paul has always said, like I said before, to very many of all these uh, protégés. He said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 4, so just as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus so that you would instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines, not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, we see it again, which give rise to useless speculation rather than advance the plan of God, which is by faith. And so I hold you now. The word useless speculation, the phrase useless speculation there makes me also remember issues around the end time. You know, people can, can debate from morning to night about whether rapture will be pre-tribulation, will be in the middle of tribulation, will be after tribulation, all these different things. Uh, the CCC means this, CCC means that, and all of those kind of arguments. At the end of the day, it hasn't added or taken anything away from your salvation. If anything, it, it can actually add confusion to your innocence. So we should avoid all of those foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings. Again, Paul says um, in Titus 3, 9 that we are reading that they are unprofitable and they are useless. They are unprofitable and they are useless. Unprofitable because they are dangerous. In, in 2 Timothy 2, 14, the language Paul used is that they can lead to the ruin of the errors, because once the devil can succeed in contaminating the truth in your heart and bring a little bit of doubt, a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of disassurance or whatever is the opposite of assurance, you begin to, you begin to go further and further away from you know, the full liberty that the spirit of God and his truth brings to our hearts. So what are we to do? To force teaching, to force teachers, avoid them avoid them. Says we should likewise avoid people who like to argue about the unimportant details about the Bible or about the Christian faith. I just gave an example about eschatology. Um, and it's okay for people to have divergent opinions, especially about matters like that. And both, both sides have Bible verses to back up what they are saying. Once you realize that there are truths that are doctrinal truths, um, I mean, uh, truths that are being taught, as it were, um, either from the authority of a denomination or otherwise, 
there can be differences and that's okay. The church is doing foot washing because they saw it in the Bible and your church is not doing foot washing rather than getting into arguments about that. Understand that whether or not you do foot washing, it has not taken anything away or added anything to your salvation. So come back to that rock solid foundation. There is no other foundation that can be laid than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 3.11. So keep standing on that. That's, that's your anchor. That's where we keep going back and going back and going back to. Any thought, any question, contribution before I move on to verse 10? All right. Verse 10 and 11 says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and they are sinning, being self-condemned. In other words, more often than not, most of these peddlers of untruth, it is very highly likely that they are covering up some sin in their lives or they are trying to hide their insecurity. Some people just want, they want to have a following. And in this world of social media where you can, where likes can be measured and, and loves can be measured and views can be measured, people will do anything to get people to like them, do anything to get people to watch them, do anything to, you know, catch people's attention in this world of TikTok videos and all of those kind of things. So we, we, need, to, we need to be discerning enough to understand that we don't have to, to, to follow this opinion or follow that opinion. There is only one authority we are all submiss, submit, subjected to and submissive under, and that's the authority of Jesus through his word, through the uh, 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 ordained leadership in a church, and of course, the Bible that we all have access to. That's why we need elders in the church, so that they can maintain order and they can bring governance in the church, especially where things get so messy. We are, we are privileged, we are blessed. We don't have to wrestle with many of the issues that some of these churches are wrestling with. But imagine how, how disorderly it can be. And you can see the tone from Paul's letter in some of these episodes, like when he was writing to the Corinthians, he was, he was, he was telling them some of these things you guys are doing, even people that are unbelievers, it's not heard amongst them. So what's, what's, what's the point that you're celebrating what should be outrightly condemned? And that's why it will look sometimes like Paul is sounding harsh in certain regards. It's not because he's, he's being harsh. Uh, the truth sometimes can be corrosive, tough on sin, but gentle on the believer. Uh, that's, that's, that's the truth of, of God's word. So this man that Paul is speaking about in Titus 3, 10 to 11, it's either of two possibilities. They could be misguided canal Christians, people that know not but know that they know not, or they don't know, but at least they are open to learning, and then you can teach them. But there are some that are unbelieving wolves in sheep's clothing. It's like they have sold their soul to the devil, and they are ready to be used to any extent to bring disunity in a church, to bring disorderliness, to, to split congregations, just by raising all manner of you know, misguided conversations and opinions and trying to buy a following 
from within the congregation. They will call this one and tell this one this, call that one and tell that one that, and, and bring people's head to butt each other and things like that. We should be mindful. We should be mindful. Paul says after Titus and his elders, after they have given such people an opportunity to repent twice and tried to win them over, but they are still not repentant, then those people should be rejected. And maybe I could throw open another question there to say, why, why twice? Um, I know if we can't answer, Pastor, <laughs> so, because I also want to learn. It says you should give them an, uh, 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 you, should, you should let them, you know, have the first option uh, uh, twice, it says in that, in the verse nine, I think, that you should give them the opportunity for repentance. Oh, it's even in verse 10, it's on the screen. Reject the divisive and after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Why twice? Why not seven times? Why not three times? Why not once? Why not even never? That once you just see, just just take to your to your ears and disappear. Any thoughts on that? The the first thought that will come to my mind is uh, well, the person rejected the uh, divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. I think the two actually serve as a witness. Mm, mm, mm. in the mouth of two or three witnesses yeah so i think you're establishing the witness so that's the that's the thing that will come to my to my mind so as long as you establish a witness that's one thing that um baba lutola taught me mm. yeah and that was his adage that once you say this thing to that person and you genuinely know that person understood Clearly, not there's some people that doesn't you can see that they didn't get that understanding what you are saying and why, but they understood, but they choose contrary to exactly what they understood. Then the second time you have established a witness. Mm -hmm. That's wisdom. Thank you, sir. Um Paul is not writing about this for the first time. He has written about it before. He will write about it again afterwards. Second Timothy was written after Titus, but we have studied first and second Timothy together. So in first Timothy 1, 18 to 20, for instance, it says, This I come this command I entrust to you, Timothy. Mr. Is raising her hand. All right. She even looks frozen. Go on, Sister Thank you, Sister. Pastor, Pastor Davis, um, please start. This is to you. Know the example you gave about these two witness. My bit, what I'm, I'm aiming to understand is how you admonish these people. Say, for example, sir, you heard about a lady um, being dismissed. How would in light of correcting in love? I think we're losing you a bit. Oh. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, yeah. Thank you. I was saying, sir, if you could give like practical who has been decisive in church, in light of um, in light of correcting in love, how would you like practically? How would you talk to her? Because I know that sometimes when we say we're correcting in love, we're a bit diplomatic with the facts, and here they're saying do it twice. 
how then would we put it as as truthfully and as lovingly as possible so they get the point i just want like i want the exact what you would say pastor sorry so it sticks to my head rather than yeah, thank you sir okay right um i think uh, we'll come back to that question so that we can let the holy spirit guide us but uh without okay i think uh, sister ife wants to guide us no pastor i just want to ask the question <laughs> <laughs> but it's a different question um pastor La, please can we say that the thin line um between contending for the faith and um like apologetics and not being particles of mission is discernment mm. is that the answer i just want to be sure yeah but that's part of the ministry of of the gift of discernment it can help you to pick your battles carefully but uh, again if someone says i don't have the gift of discernment which you can pray for the 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 indicator in this case would be the disposition of the person you are speaking with you will know when you are trying to get a message across to someone whose mind is made up and once you start eating that wall there is no point wanting to keep proof except the spirit of god is definitely giving you the the go ahead to continue to speak you'll be wasting your time you'll be wasting your energy you will be depleted in many in many ways but again the word for it is discernment it's just that sometimes we don't have the language for it. You, you start having that knowing that, okay, this is going on. Sometimes our ego and our wanting to win, because again, many of us are actually argumentative by default. So you can't stand the fact that you are trying to say something that is very logical in your mind. You are very sure that this is the truth. But the problem is the other person too is very sure that is error, is the truth. And so you continue without reaching any solution. But once you start getting to be hitting that word, and especially with the tone, the choice of words, the way the person is coming across, you can start checking within your spirit. Am I supposed to be having this conversation? Is this becoming one of those uh, foolish disputes as it were? I need to abstain from. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Yeah, thank you very much, Pastor. Just, just to just add some little, little bit to the question that was asked before this one. I'll be more very sincere and practical with it. Uh, sometimes uh, when people are being divisive, now two things might happen. The first thing is that if we read that place in context, see what is actually happening there. My own, the way I always view it is this. Uh, try and look, look at, does this person have full understanding? There are some people that and it's happened to so many people around here, actually, that they do things, even though it's hurting to other people, they actually don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't have, they don't really, until you point it out. I remember the time we still have Bible studies in, uh, in St. Clement, and we have questions and questions and some questions, and some, some people say, how can this person be asking these questions? You're supposed to be, so be grown up and know all these things. But I reflect on, it takes me days to reflect on those things when people ask this. They know the spirit itself will interpret to me that these people that ask those questions, he really actually loved them because they are genuine. The question was genuine, even though it may look to you as if, how can somebody, it may look confrontational, it may look, but they are genuine, they genuinely want to know. 
Some people are devices, they really don't know. Now, some people actually know mm -hmm. they have a game plan. It's a motive. They have a motive behind it. Just like the man that just gone is born again in the scripture in Acts 8 that we're talking about. I just go and say that mean he said he's going born again. And he now saw the apostle came in laying hand on people and receiving something and speaking in something. Even though he said he pretended he pretended he was born again. Then he went to go and uh, ask the apostle Peter and he said, Can you please sell this power for me so that I too can lay hand upon people? The as a genuine says, So please help me, bless me, so that I can always be, a, you know, also. Have this, that, that you know, I want to do the work of God on the bait. Just think about to buy it. So that means that he's trying to be also sell it in a way. So and the apostle says, tell told him that listen, uh, the Lord rebuke you, blah blah blah, and all of that. And they said they rebuked him and telling so many things that will happen to him and say, unless he repents. But you know what the man said? The man told God. Repent for me that I will not, those things I say will not come over me. You can see the mind of that person. So what I'm trying to say in summary is this. I believe the Holy Spirit from my own, I know we always come back, the Holy Spirit itself will distinct it in you, will tell you. Parallel things that concerns you. If it concerns you and the Holy Spirit knows that it concerns you genuinely, it will come to you and it will tell you. Then you'll be, be able to discern. Is this because there are people? So I don't think that's the same applies to everyone. There are people that actually genuinely don't know. That people that they don't know. There are people that need more teaching for them to develop. But there are people that already know, but they have a, a purpose. They have a reason. Some people just don't want things to work. And when things work, then it goes, it, it has a spirit in them that repair, that notice. Why? why? But they themselves don't know. So sometimes you have to rebuke that spirit in them. And when you rebuke the spirit and they still carry on, then you're giving them the second child, you will establish a witness. Yeah. But the father's always tell me the that is like a sea. As a bound. When it gets to that, when the see, he said, when the sea comes, he said that's a boundary that God himself had drawn and it lies forever. Once they cross that boundary, you have crossed it. Then you have two chances to cross the boundary. Cross a second time, end of. That is it. That is the way the fathers explained it, and that is the understanding they have. So what we need to do practically is to actually to give us the mind. We explain the mind, the reasons, the deep things behind it for you. Once you explain the deep thing, if you know straight away. That's a purpose, and the purpose is to undermine things from working or to make things to come down. Then you do what Paul said here. Unfortunately. But when you know that, no, it is not, they still need more knowledge, they still don't understand, then you can give them more time and pray and pray for them and teach and bring them to the place of understanding. Thank you very much, Sam. We're looking at the case study of Paul and some of the first teachers that he encountered and how he also dealt with them or undoed them. So we saw in 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20, where he mentioned those that had shipwrecked their faith. It says that um, keep your faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. In other words, these people, they rejected faith, they rejected the good conscience, and therefore they suffered a shipwreck in regards to their faith. 
And he gave two examples. Among these are Hymenos and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. In other words, Paul gave them their distance. I, we don't know how, how, what kind of interactions had gone on between them. We don't know who Hymenos is. We don't know who Alexander is. There are repeated, I mean, Alexander is a very common name back in the day, but we see those names again and again at some point that can help us to piece some things together speculatively. So 2 Timothy 4.14, for instance, Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Maybe it's the same Alexander, we don't know, but he says the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He didn't take any battle to his hands as it were. It has gotten to that point where he just let them be and hand them over to the Lord. Uh, likewise, in 2 Timothy 4.14, it says, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenos and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Imagine such a teaching, that the resurrection has already happened. So what are they still doing themselves? Peddling those <laughs> those heresies and those lies. But Paul says their, their, their talk will spread like gangrene. And I think it's helpful to understand what that is. It's, it's, it's when there is necrosis, death, death of body tissue, cells, tissues dying and peeling off the body due to a lack of blood flow or sometimes due to some very serious bacterial infection. And there, there, there was this picture I saw um, uh, as an illustration for it that I think can help us picture what we are talking about here. This is what it looks like when this gangrene happens. It starts from a grade zero. There is almost nothing visible that we can see, but gradually it begins to, you know, heat up the skin from the inside. Gradually the bones are becoming visible until the whole leg, the only solution to this kind of issue is to cut off the leg, is to amputate the leg. Otherwise, the bacteria will keep spreading like that to the rest of the body. So that's that's how dangerous this whole issue of, you know, false teaching and false talk can be, divisive talk within the church and within the body of Christ and why it must be dealt with ruthlessly in that regard. So it can start very subtly, it's not looking conspicuous. It's sounding normal. It's looking normal. It's feeling normal. Everything about it is normal. They are calling the name of Jesus. They are quoting scriptures, but it is normal until it is not. And followers of such people, having given them that opportunity to repent, if they take it, they are welcome back to fellowship. But if they have, if what they have heard has settled into their hearts beyond repentance, the recommendation we see here is that they be removed from the fellowship for people to distance themselves, for believers to distance themselves from them. Because someone that is seeped in that kind of, 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 of virus, you, if you will, if it is not rooted out, it will do more damage than good. Um, I'm looking at the time. Maybe we can take verse 12 and, and wrap it up there. It says, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. 
now we are done with talks about false teaching and false teachers and divisions and arguments and foolish talks. Now he's beginning to talk about people that we can actually say some good things about and, and emulate those good things from their lives. He introduces two of them in this verse, Artemis and Tychicus, and he's saying he will send either of them to come to Crete when Titus goes to meet Paul in Nicopolis, where Paul will be spending the winter. Um, so, so these two men, unlike those false teachers, they are being considered for this great assignment. We have heard that the church in Crete is not just one church. It's a highland. And there are many churches under Titus's um, oversight or bishopric, um, as some may call it. So for, for Paul to be nominating anybody to come and hold the fort, they have to be people of, you know, Stalin reputes, people that have been tested and trusted. So it goes without saying that they must be role models in their own right too. And we want to emulate that. In fact, what Paul is doing here by writing about them the way he wrote about them in verse 12 is actually an equivalent of writing a reference letter for someone, a character reference, or a letter of recommendation, as they would call it, um, commending their ability, commending their character, that they are able to get the job done. And the question that comes to you and I is, can we be counted upon in a similar fashion? That if for one reason or the other, they need um, someone that can act as Pastor Davis somewhere, and Pastor mm -hmm. is also not available. Can we call your name and say, uh, Sister Lagbaja, Brother XYZ, go and take over this responsibility and be able to discharge it, you know, um, in a way that your, your, the person that is giving you the assignment don't have to worry or start to second guess, will you be able to do it? So Paul's recommendation to send either of these two people is highlighting a major key, especially when it comes to ministerial training and equipping of ministers for the, for the calling ahead of them. And that's the fact that they must be observed, they must be tested, and they must be trusted. In the apostolic church, there is nobody that will be called into certain offices um, without this tri tripod stand of observation, test, and trust. Because the absence of it, by experience, actually, has, has led to more disaster than, than good. So, and that takes time. It takes time to pour into people. It takes time to nurture them. It takes time to to lead such people into a position where they can also lead churches. You observe their light and light of God's word, you observe their character, and you, you begin to nurture them in the way that they should go. And you might be saying, uh, yeah, that part is not for me. I'm not ready to be a pastor. I'm not ready to be a this or that. But I will take you back to where we started from in chapter one, when we're talking about qualification of elders to remind us that elders are first and foremost members. And so whatever we are expecting to find in an elder, in a pastor, in a church leader, in a leader of a unit, whatever capacity of leadership and influence that we are being invited to in the body of Christ or in the local church, whatever we are expecting to find in that leader, we must be able to find it in a member because the leader will be first and foremost a member. So it's, it applies to each and every one of us. 
Um, that's why Paul will say to Timothy, for instance, um, in Tim 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust this to faithful people, people that will be able to teach others also. Uh, and of course, hearing all of this, we've made this point before, but maybe it's worth making again. It's not, we are not by any means saying that the elders or the leaders or people that have one form of authority or the other in the church, that they must be people with perfect lives. Part of the questions we've looked at today has made that clear. Our spirit is perfect, but our soul and our body is still, our soul is still undergoing its own perfecting process. And our perfect body is not this one that we have. It's waiting for us at the appointed time when glorification will happen and would the, 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 the corruptible will give way for the incorruptible and death will be swallowed up in victory. But until that point or until that time, there is no perfect person in that sense. However, what matters is that you see this teachability. You see this depth of sound doctrine. You see this hunger and thirst for good food. When I say good food, I mean good teaching, sound teaching. And when they do mistakes, when they do sin, when they do err, they are open to repentance. That's why God will call David a man after his own heart, in spite of all the atrocities that David committed. Because one of the things we saw with David is his willingness to always, is quick to admit his wrong and to throw himself into the hands of God, his savior. So these are people that are not after their own desires. They are not after their own pleasures. They submit themselves fully to the authority of the scriptures and they submit themselves to the authority of the church because they acknowledge that whatever authority is in the church, God has placed it there. So really, and this is where we would pause for tonight, or maybe we can just glance through or rush through the rest in, in five minutes so that we don't have to come back. We'll just do general revision next week. Summarily, sound men must be taught well before being saddled with planting and leading churches. And when I say men, I don't mean that um, in a gender biased way. I'm using it in an inclusive sense. Sound men and women who must be taught well before we are saddled with such responsibilities like planting and leading churches. And then, of course, another point to make is that the work of the work of sharing the gospel is never over. Paul is writing from one place. He's already talking about going to Nicopolis. He wants Titus to come and meet him there. There is more ministry work to do there. And as Titus is leaving, there is still ministry work to do in Crete. Some people need to be there to continue the job. So the, the, the ministry continues. The work of God and sharing the good news is never over until our Father, uh, until Christ returns. And lastly, the faithful and active participation in, in ministry will always open doors for more opportunities. If you are faithful in little, the Bible says it will commit more into your hands. And that's what we want because, of course, we are not just doing these things. We know that when we stand before our Father on the last day, we would receive the reward that is due to our contribution and we would have made our Father proud. And that's, that's the best we can do for someone that has given his all to get us into his family, all on the platter of his grace. It says in verse 13 and 14, send Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing, 
and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs so that they may not be unfruitful. So again, we see two more people that is commending. It's very likely that these are the two people that brought this letter to Crete. And Paul is saying, send them back immediately after they've delivered the letter. But don't just send them back. Let me use them as an object lesson. Part of what you've been teaching the Cretans is to be generous. So ensure that these people that are doing this ministerial responsibility, send them back with enough resources. Make sure they don't lack anything. So he's teaching them generosity here, how to serve the needs of others uh, as the case is. He, he used the word learn in that verse 14, that our people should also learn to maintain good works. It's a word that means to learn by study, to learn by practice, to learn by experience. It's the kind of thing you do when you are an apprentice or when you are... Yeah, that, I think that's one of the best way I can put it, internship. You are learning by experience, by practicing, and by studying those that have done it before you. And how does that work in a local church? Seize every opportunity to serve. It doesn't matter whether you have a gift for it or not. They want people to inquire and your voice is always flat. But you start with start with volunteering. Maybe at the end of the day, they will end up saying you should just be conducting in front but you will still be doing something. So give your, give your best, give your gift. Um, uh, don't hide under the excuse of, I don't, know, I don't know what I can do. Volunteer, try, give it an attempt, give it a shot. And in the process of doing what you're doing, God will clarify what he wants you to be doing or bring more and more opportunities your way. There will always be work to be done. And until we join in into what God is up to, we would not enjoy the full joys that await us in doing so. We are not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. We are saved to serve. And as we respond and choose the path of faithfulness, you can be certain that we also discover fruitfulness. Before Adalimefon will lead us in prayers, verse 15, very short and straight to the point. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. The interesting thing to, that, that, that comes across from that verse is the second statement. Greet those who love us in the faith. In other words, don't greet, don't greet everybody there because we know there are some false teachers amidst you. Don't greet them. Only greet those ones that are genuinely interested in matters of the advancement of the gospel and the faith. Our true brothers and sisters in the faith and we must have that holy jealousy as well that when you are wanting to to prioritize help you you come first to those of the household of faith those that are brothers and sisters with you in christ as paul also admonished in in another letter in the letter to the galatians and i pray that that grace will keep each and every one of us in jesus name amen amen Lucian. We're in Liverpool, we are not in Crete. We're in the 21st century, we are not in the 1st century. But everything that we have heard, everything that we have read is as applicable today as it was then. And I'm praying that each and every one of us will be model, will model Christ-likeness wherever we find ourselves. We'll be so grounded in the truth that when falsehood passes through our pinna, our outer here, the spirit of discernment would kick in and help us to take our place. We would avoid false teaching. 
would avoid the peddlers of false teaching and will embrace every opportunity to serve in the house of God and beyond. And I pray the Lord will bless his word in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We had to rush through the last bit, but I'll hand over to Elder. Thank you.